Welcome to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by what you are about to hear. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Did you have a good week? Grace, did you have a good week? Awesome. (laughs) Good, good. We did too. We did too. Just so cool. Let's pray and let's get into this word. I'm going to cover about uh, two chapters this morning, and it's going to be pretty fast, and uh, it's going to be amazing, and uh, I'm excited to see what God does with this, but I want to do a a teaching on the room where it happened, and the word room is symbolic of a place, and the word it is where God interrupts us, so let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for this good day. Lord, we're excited. We're so excited at what you're doing in our hearts, Lord God, in our lives. And you're so faithful. And we thank you, Lord, that we come humbly before you today. And we open our hearts, Lord God, to receive from you. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are greater than the one that's against us, that you live mightily inside of us. And we thank you, Lord, that today, by your spirit, we are changed and we continue to experience your great presence. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have been traveling on the bridge that's under construction and destruction? There's one under destruction and one's under instruction. They need some instruction, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But how many times have you gone across to Illinois? For about a month and a half, we lived over on in Coal Valley, so every day we're driving back and forth and back and forth. And it's amazing. I love watching the new bridge. That's really fascinating to me. And I know you're not supposed to look at it. So are you doing the same thing that I'm doing? It's like, don't look, don't look. But you want to look and see what's happening over there. And these little tiny people, have you noticed? The little tiny people over there building this bridge. And then you get into Moline, and all of a sudden the road uh, disappoints you because you have to get off of it to get back on it. And it seems like there's just one disruption after another disruption, and it's, it's just continual. And you just wonder, what's the big plan? There must be a big plan, right? And God has a big plan. And a lot of times we find ourselves in a place where God interrupts us. Have you noticed that? He interrupts us, and we think we've got it all together. We've got, you know, a mindset or whatever, and we're going this direction, and then God disrupts us, interrupts us, and all of a sudden we're going in a different direction, or in our mind we begin to think in a different way. I want to take you back into the book of Acts, chapters 9 and 10, and I want to cover that and kind of show you where this all began and the room where it happened. And I'm talking about we wouldn't be in this room if the room I'm going to talk about today didn't happen, because I'm talking ultimately about the room where the Holy Spirit fell upon Gentiles, and that's who most of us are, and we would not be in this room if that had not happened. And I want to show you how it happened, okay? And I'm really, I'm really excited about this. I want you to kind of buckle your seatbelts because I'm going to go pretty fast here, but I really want you to get into the Word of God and see a bigger picture than maybe we normally see as we look at how all these pieces begin to fit together. So, God's interruptions into our lives is the room where it happens. How many remember the place that God interrupted your life, saved your little hide, and made you a different person than you've ever been before, right? Do you remember that? Okay, <laughs> good. And I want to say this to you. God is strategic. God is strategic. 
A lot of times we think he's just doing something over here, but God's never just doing something over here. God's doing something over there and back there and over there and up there. God is always moving the players around. He's always moving things around. He's always changing the way we think. He's always working on us, but it's all connected because just like the overall plan for the bridge and all this stuff we're going through over there, there's a big plan. God is kingdom-minded. He speaks from a kingdom narrative. The Holy Spirit speaks from a kingdom narrative to each one of us because he's trying to pull us together collectively as the body of Christ. There's something very big that God wants to do in the Quad Cities in this place all over the Quad Cities, and he's beginning to stir people up and stir things up. He's beginning to uh, interrupt people in the way they were going to go, and God's beginning to change lives and change mindsets. Are you getting this? How many agree with what I'm saying to you? And God wants to do a really big thing in this city, in the Quad Cities, and we want to be a part of that. And God speaks to us from a kingdom narrative. That means he's talking to us individually, but he's also talking to us collectively. And God wants to move in this city and do a mighty thing throughout, not just this city, but throughout the entire world. I believe with all my heart there's a great awakening coming to the world. It's got to start somewhere, so why not let it start here? Amen? Are you with me? And so as we look in scriptures, there's a place that I want you to go with me about the room that where it happened. And I want to go to the rooftop. In Joppa, say Joppa. It's where all the Joppaites live, I guess. The Joppa. It's a kind of a fun place. It's a seaside place, right? And Simon the Tanner owns the house that Peter is in, and Peter goes up on the roof to pray. And that's the part I want to kind of begin with you today. And then I want to help you see why that happened. Are you with me? Are you going to go with me? <laughs> Let's get into this thing because I think it's just really, really cool. So chapter 10, about verse 9, I'm just going to read a little bit here, and then I want to do the backstory. all right, but not just yet. So let's look at this. About noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. That was his lifestyle. He prayed, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as nasty reptiles and snakes of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Nothing doing. But in the NIV it says, he said, Surely not, Lord. <laughs> I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. And the voice said this, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Whoa. And Peter had to think about that for a while, okay? Because he's over here in Joppa. I'm going to talk about Joppa, and I'm going to talk about uh, Leda and Sharon, and I'm going to talk about Damascus, and I'm going to talk about Jerusalem, I'm going to talk about Caesarea. So over here in Joppa <laughs> is where Peter is on the rooftop. And God then says to him, there's three guys at the door down below. I want you to go with them and don't hesitate. How many of you ever hesitated when God told you to go do something? How many of you have ever hesitated? Please make me feel comfortable. Have you ever hesitated to follow through on what God, I just wondered if I was the only one. <laughs> and so 
He goes downstairs, and there's three guys at the door, and they have come to retrieve him. Now, I want to go back into the story, and I'm going to talk about why is Peter in Joppa, and who are these three guys at the door? Now, let me tell you why he's in Joppa. He's in Joppa because he came over there because a lady was sick. Her name is Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. And Dorcas died. Peter went there to minister healing to her, but she just up and died. How inconsiderate, huh? And so he goes into the room where she's laid up in the, in the top of this house, and there's people all in the room crying and wailing and carrying on and very emotional, and Peter throws them all out of the room. He prays, and he faces Tabitha and says, Tabitha, get up, and she rises from the dead. So he raises a dead person to life, and many in that city begin to worship Jesus and believe in Jesus Christ. Now, how did he get to Joppa? That's what I want to do. So I want to go into the backstory here with you, all right? Because he was over here. He was over here in Leda, which is near Sharon. There are two little cities here, right here. And over here, he's preaching the gospel. And there's a man who has been uh, paralyzed for eight years, and he receives healing. So this guy that's been, that we've seen, everybody in these two towns has seen him you know, kind of going around not being able to walk for eight years. And now he's walking and leaping and praising God and having a great time. The whole bunch of them in both Leda and in Sharon gave their word to Jesus and became followers of Jesus. It raised such a ruckus over here, and the word spread all the way to Joppa, and that's why Joppaites sent somebody over here to get Peter to come over there to minister to Dorcas or to Tabitha. Do you follow the reasoning here? God is strategic. He moves us around in the places that we need to be for the kingdom of God to advance. He's always doing that. He's always shifting things. We don't always like it because when he interrupts us, he interrupts our normal and our familiar and our predictability. Amen? And I'm talking about our individual lives. So many times I thought we were going that way and God took us that way. So many times I thought I had my theology all figured out as a Baptist, and then I read Cross and Switchblade, and God really interrupted me, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. God's always interrupting us because he's always moving us around on his kingdom agenda, and he's always speaking from a kingdom narrative. And so what's happening over here is not unrelated to what's happening over there and over there and over there because what God's doing in the kingdom is a mighty thing. Amen? And for the movement of God to go across the earth is what he was working on in those two places. Now, why did he go? Why did he go to Leda and to Sharon? Why was he in that area? Well, he came there from Jerusalem. So why did he leave Jerusalem? to go out here because remember Jerusalem if you read in the earlier chapters chapters 7 8 etc the believers in Jerusalem are being persecuted i mean they are being killed it's a horrible time to be a christian in Jerusalem if you want to stay alive it's a dangerous time but something has happened there in chapter 9 there's a guy named Saul that gets saved on the road to Damascus And Saul, as you know, had letters from the high priest, and he's on his way to Damascus 
to check out anybody that's in the synagogue that's going to follow Jesus because he's going to drag them back to Jerusalem to persecute them. That was his plan. But God interrupted him on the road to Damascus. With a flash of light, whop, Saul is on the ground, doesn't know what hit him. And Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? (laughs) And Jesus says, I am Jesus that you're persecuting. Now get up and go into Damascus and wait there, and I'll tell you what you're going to do. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? But that's pretty much like Jesus was told, was telling Saul. So he gets up from his prostate position on the ground and opens his eyes and he can't see. So he's blind. And for three days he eats nothing, he drinks nothing, and he's blind. And he goes into town and he stays at a place on Straight Street to a person there whose name happens to be Judas. It's not that Judas, it's a different Judas. And he's there across town. There's a young gentleman named Ananias, and Ananias loves Jesus. And Ananias is minding his own business when suddenly he sees a vision, and an angel comes to him and says to him, I want you to get up. I want you to go over to Straight Street to a certain house where Saul is, and I want you to go minister to him. And so what does Ananias say? Just a minute, God. Do you not know who that guy is? Have you not heard about him? My goodness, he's killing Christians left and right. And God then says, go. (laughs) Go to Straight Street. Go to the house where Saul is and pray for him to receive his sight and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I have called him. He's my special vessel. He's my special instrument. And he is going to minister to Gentiles and their kings and all kinds of people all over the world. There's a lot of the word go in scriptures in this context because there was a go that we read about in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 years ago that said go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? God is a go God. Amen? And a lot of times the room where it happens is a place where God causes us to go. He interrupts us to keep the flow of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God moving forward. Are you getting this? This is the backstory of why Peter was over there on the rooftop to start with. Now, Saul gets saved. He begins to be strengthened, and he begins to preach in the synagogues in Damascus. And people are responding to him greatly. And then we hear that there are people in Damascus that want to kill him. And so his followers, don't, don't rush over that word, his followers, church, Every one of us should have followers. Every one of us should have people that we are discipling. Every one of us should have followers. Saul, fresh from being born again, has followers. And his followers find out that his life is being threatened, and they take him in the middle of the night, put him in a basket, (laughs) and they find a hole in the wall around the city and throw him through it, and he escapes Damascus and goes to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he begins to check out some of the, uh, the disciples. And they don't want anything to do with Saul because they know where he's coming from and they just don't believe he's been converted at all. And so he runs into a gentleman named Barnabas. And Barnabas takes Saul to the apostles and shares his story. 
And when he shares this story, they believe this man, Saul, has been born again. He loves Jesus Christ. He is a new creation in Christ Jesus. And they approved him. And then Saul could move very easily all over Jerusalem, preaching and teaching in the synagogues. That's an amazing story, I think. And then he happened to, to uh, really debate with some of the Jews, and they got upset with him, and they plotted to kill him. And so some of the disciples found out about that. And so at in midnight, they slipped Saul out of Jerusalem and sent him back to, through Caesarea, all the way to his hometown, which was uh, Tarsus. Okay? And when he left, the church in Jerusalem was at rest, peace, and they were strengthened, and they increased in number, and they were in wonder and awe of how awesome God is. And Jerusalem church was at peace and calm. And that's why Peter felt that at that point, he could leave and go to Leiden. Are you following me? Okay. So God is putting things in motion. He is always putting things in motion. He's always moving people around. He's always changing minds. He's always converting the most unpredictable people to be a part of the kingdom of of God. And that is amazing. So Peter is then able to go leave Jerusalem because things have really calmed down. Now, what I see that happened in Jerusalem is that these people, these believers, got re energized because, wow, if God can redeem Saul, he can redeem anybody. If God can move on his heart, God can do anything. And I believe that all of a sudden the church is all stirred up and excited about Jesus. It's going to go forth, and the church is advancing, it's increasing, and they're stronger than they've ever been. And so Paul, for that, uh, Peter, for that reason, then goes to Laden and does the things that I told you that he did, okay? So that's how Peter ends up over here in Joppa. Now, who are these three guys at the door? Well, these three guys belong to a gentleman over in Caesarea, and his name is Cornelius. And Cornelius is a godly man. He just doesn't know Jesus. But he loves God. He prays to God every day. Cornelius is a very uh, generous person. He's always giving and helping people. He loves people. And he's surrounded himself with a lot of people that are as devout as he is in far, as far as they love God. They just don't know Jesus. How many know people that talk about God, but they don't know Jesus? So in that situation, an angel appears to Cornelius and says to Cornelius, your prayers, because he's a man of prayer, and your generosity has come up to heaven, and we want you to send messengers to Joppa. In Joppa, you'll find at a house called Simon the Tanner's house, in Joppa on the seaside, you will find Peter the apostle Peter, and bring him over here and have him tell you what I've commanded him to tell you. So immediately Cornelius takes two servants and one soldier because Cornelius is a centurion. He oversees a 100 military men. And so he sends immediately two servants and a soldier to Joppa. And there are the three guys knocking on the door over here with Peter. And Peter comes to the door. From the rooftop to the front door, God has been working mightily on Peter. 
because on the rooftop, he wasn't going to touch anything that was impure because he thought everything was impure except the Jews. And now God is going to take him to minister to the Gentiles in Caesarea. So all the way down, Peter is processing the change that God is initiating by his spirit inside the heart and the mind of Peter. Have you ever had God do that to you? And you're processing all of that all the way to the front door. And you can tell what happened because Peter opens the door, welcomes them in, invites them in to spend the night. Well, that's not kosher, but that's what he's going to do. And the next day, the two servants, the soldier, and Peter, and some of the brothers from Joppa go to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, we see a major breakthrough for the Gentile world because at Cornelius' house is the room where it happened. And when they walk in, Cornelius bows to Peter. Peter says, I'm just a man, gets him back up. Why would you invite me here? Cornelius tells his story. And then Peter preaches his story that Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead, and I've been sent to preach the gospel to whosoever will. And that God has told me not to call impure anyone. Don't call anyone impure that God has called clean. Amen? Thank God for that. Amen? He preaches the gospel, and what happens is the Holy Spirit falls on that group of Gentiles because Cornelius' house is wall-to-wall Gentiles. And Peter, the Jew, (laughs) is standing in the midst of that because God has made a correction. He's given him a revelation, and he's given him a new direction. And when God interrupts us, those three things are going to begin to happen to us God begins to do a course correction. He does a uh, theological correction. He, he corrects us so that we can get back in the program of what we're supposed to be doing. And he makes that correction, and he gives us a revelation that gives us the understanding behind the correction, and then he gives us direction. Those are three things that God does when he interrupts us. He's done it for me many times. And at this point, in this room crowded with Gentiles, The Holy Spirit comes down upon that room. This is the room where it happened. It's the reason why we are here. Because we could not be saved. The gospel would never be preached to us unless there was this breakthrough, unless there was this interruption in the mindset of the early Christians from the Jewish point of view. Are you following me? There are things that won't happen unless we allow God to interrupt our hearts, interrupt our mindsets, interrupt our our understanding, because God's got more. Amen? I'm talking about individual lives. A man of prayer, Cornelius, interrupted in prayer as God gave him direction to go there and bring back Peter, and now the Holy Spirit falls. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. They praise God. The whole world is changing. Suddenly, there is a major paradigm shift. There is a major change in where the gospel is going to go. And now the gospel begins to be spread all over the world. And Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul, spreads the gospel 
to a geographic area the size of the United States in his lifetime. One man, an amazing God, who interrupted him on the road to Damascus and redeemed his life. And Paul becomes the writer of more than half of the New Testament. He is the one that God uses as someone that's plucked out of season to be the the one who preaches the gospel around the world. But I want you to see this is God's agenda. This is the kingdom. God is always on a kingdom narrative, and he's doing the same thing today. Are you following me? And in your prayer time, in our individual prayer time, we want God to interrupt us. A few weeks ago, I began teaching a little short series on the four postures of prayer. Do you remember? The first one is humility. Peter humbled himself before God. Paul humbled himself before God. Humility releases the grace of God into our lives. Amen? And as people of prayer, we come to God with humility. The second thing I talked about was I used the word delight from Psalm 37. And that was about the fact that the word delight there, we delight ourselves in the, in the Lord and he gives us the desires of our heart. And the point was that the word delight means to be soft and pliable. And Peter was not only humble, but he was soft and pliable on that rooftop as God began to speak to him. And Saul became humble and soft and pliable to the Lord as well. And then Peter on the rooftop is fellowshipping with Jesus. We're called to that fellowship because if you're going to live in the moments that you were designed to live in, we have to fellowship with Jesus. Worship him in the word of God, and etc. And the fourth posture is expectations. God expects us to expect him to interrupt us. We need the interruptions. We need the course corrections that God has, the reality of what that means. That means in my prayer time, I have no agenda. My prayer time is to come humbly before the Lord, My prayer time is to be soft and pliable before the Lord. My prayer time is to fellowship with Jesus. And my expectations is that God will surely interrupt me one more time and give me clarity. He will correct me. He'll bring correction. He'll bring revelation. And he'll bring direction. Amen. Are you receiving what I'm saying? And I'm just talking on a personal basis that we as believers throughout the quiet cities, if we will come to the Lord with humility, if we'll come to the Lord soft and pliable, if we'll come to the Lord to fellowship with Jesus, not to give him our shopping list, but to fellowship with Jesus, we can expect to be interrupted by God. The room where it happened for Moses was at a burning bush in the backside of the desert. God interrupted him, and he redeemed and was the deliverer of Israel. God interrupted Esther in a palace when she was pretending not to be a Jew, and all the Jews were going to be slain, but God interrupted her for such a time as this. And for Gideon, as we heard so well last week from Jeremiah, the place where it happened was in a wine press. That's where God met Gideon. 
That's where God began to change Gideon's mindset. That's where God began to do some correction in Gideon. That's where God began to reveal who he really is. And that's where God began to give him the direction to be the deliverer in that moment. Amen? So throughout the Bible, we see where God has interrupted people because the kingdom must go forward. For the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples on the kingdom. It was all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God matters. If we are kingdom-focused, God will be able to interrupt us and to do the things that God desires to do in our personal life as well as he wants to do on the earth. And I believe it's a marvelous opportunity to watch God and how God does this. I'll give you a couple more things here. Opportunity. You have a definition in your bulletin. and It simply means this. A set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something, be something, or make a difference. Opportunities are on every hand. Every day there's an opportunity. Every day there's an opportunity. In the Passion Bible in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4, it says this, when it seems as though you're surrounded by nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. The greatest joy in heaven is when somebody receives Jesus. The greatest joy on earth for us is when someone receives Jesus. Amen? And so we want to be looking for those opportunities. We want to connect with people that don't know Jesus. We don't want to be clickish with our own little group of all the Christians. We want to be beyond that and connect with people that don't know the Lord. And we want to connect with them so we can really have a good conversation with them. And hopefully there could be a conversion, maybe of our friendship with them, but eventually a, a conversion of their faith in Jesus Christ. And then a collaboration as the body of Christ expands and grows and becomes more powerful on this earth. Amen? God shows no favoritism. God shows no favoritism. God shows no favoritism. We want to remember that. Don't judge people. Expect God to be amazing because he is. And he interrupts us. So the three things that I gave you earlier would go into your bulletin if you're keeping notes there about correction. Three things that happens when he interrupts us. There's correction. And there's direction. That's what God does for us. I want to leave you with this. Salvation changes our nature, forgives our past, and loves us into a working relationship with Jesus. Amen? A working relationship with Jesus. I'd like you to bow your heads for a moment, if you would. And I just wonder, at this point... How many of you recognize that God has been interrupting you? His desire is to interrupt you because he wants to redirect you. Maybe it's just your mindset. 
Maybe it's what's consuming your life. But God wants to prove himself strong to you and through you to reach a world. In your prayer life this week, have you noticed that God begins to interrupt you? How many are welcoming that interruption? How many have noticed that God begins to interrupt your mindset? He begins to change your thinking about him, about your purpose in life. God wants to do that inside of us. And maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. But you know what? You're here because God knows what you've been going through. Only God really knows what you've been going through. And he cares. And he wants to reach down inside of your heart and change your life and lift you above the circumstances that you've been walking in. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to do that right now, all you need to do is just say to God, Father God, I come to you. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Change my life. I recognize that you are Jesus. You're the Savior of the world. You're the resurrected King. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life and changing me. Redirect me. You can pray that any way you want to and find that starting place with Jesus coming into your life. Now, Father, I lift up these that are gathered here today. And, Lord, we, we thank you with all of our heart that you're the God that's more than enough. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place to speak to us and guide us and direct us. We want to be about your kingdom business. Help us to tune in and to really listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying so that by in our lives, as we go about our business, that we would see people that need Jesus and we would be able to share you with them. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. We want to live in the room where it happens every day. Your interruptions to correct us and give us revelation and to give us direction. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just know how many of you agree and receive the word that I preached today. How many of you see this? Good, 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 good. Because God is going to do more. God's going to do more. I just, I'm trying to get you to see that on an individual basis, God created you with great complexity in his image. And there is more he has for you individually than you'll ever discover. But if we want to know, we keep our curiosity up and we keep searching by the Holy Spirit to know what else does God want to do in my heart. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or have questions about Hope Church, please visit myhopechurch.com.